Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. And it came to pass in verse 1. Look at verse chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judge. Between chapter 7 and chapter 8 is approximately 25 years. And Samuel's boys are helping out ministry. Now, if you're taking notes, the firstborn was Joel. Joel, that's a great name. It means Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. And Abijah, his brother. His name means Yahweh or Jehovah is my father, Joel or Joel, Jehovah is God, Abijah, Jehovah is my father. These boys had a problem. They took bribes and they were dishonest. Now, I do find it interesting that Samuel would name his children Jehovah is my God and Jehovah is my father. When Samuel was four years old, you, you remember the story, when Samuel was four years old, uh, Elkanah, his dad, and Hannah dropped him off at the temple, as they said. And while living in the temple and growing up in the temple, he learned Jehovah is my father. He learned Jehovah is my God. And I'm confident that Samuel, as a dad, did his best to communicate that. Verse 3 tells us his sons did not walk like their dad. They committed the three untouchables in ministry. Never touch the girls, the glory, or the gold. You ought to write that down. Never touch the girls, the glory, or the gold. And that's exactly what they did. Many commentators say because Samuel was a circuit preacher and was out doing ministry, that he did a poor job at parenting. And so these boys turned out doing the things that they did. Um, We see that in chapter 7. I'm trying to find where it's at. In chapter 7, verse 16. Uh huh. Chapter 7, verse 16. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he was always, he always returned to Ramah, for his home was in Ramah. So, because Samuel was like a circuit preacher, he actually only traveled about 50 miles, 50 square miles. Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah is about 50 miles of travel from his home. And so many Bible scholars will say because he was a circuit preacher that he um, wasn't home and wasn't home to do, you know, the father duties to teach his kids about godly things and to read the Bible with the kids and that kind of thing. And I'm not so sure I agree with that because chapter 7, verse 15 and 16 tell us that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Look at verse 17 of chapter 7. It tells us that Samuel built an altar at Ramah, which was his home. 
Verse 3 tells us, his sons walk not in his ways. Verse 5 tells us, the children of Israel said to Samuel, your boys did not walk in your ways. The nation and God tells us that Samuel's boys did not follow the example of their father. Not that Samuel was a bad dad. So, I think I disagree with Bible scholars that say that Samuel was a bad dad. If that is their position, I don't see that at all in Scripture. Uh, And actually, the Bible doesn't really speak specifically to that. But as we read the Scriptures, we find out the Bible says that his boys did not walk in his ways. In other words, they knew his ways. They just didn't walk in them. So what does that tell us? That tells us that these boys made a decision. We know from Samuel, we know his life. He was a man of integrity and character. Samuel was a godly man. He changed the course of the entire nation. Samuel didn't foretell like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He wasn't eloquent like Isaiah. He was a man who walked close to God. And because of his prayer life, he changed the course of a nation. I don't see a fault in Samuel as a father who lived in hypocrisy, as some Bible scholars say. What I do see is two boys who made a decision because they were old enough to make their own decision. Samuel had two boys who were typical PK kids. Noah had uh, boys and sons who were PK kids. Aaron had sons who were PK kids. On the day of coronation, Aaron... um, Coronating Aaron to the office of priesthood, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire on the altar, and God killed them. So I see that, if anything, Samuel had PK kids. Um, I will tell you, PK kids, I have them. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> preacher's kids is what they are. And, uh, you know, honestly... I got to say that many times, I, I as as a being a preacher now for a senior pastor now for eighteen years, I think preachers' kids. Um, I think there's more expected of preachers' kids than there are of others ki- of other kids. I think that preachers' kids find themselves living under pressure in the church. I think it's hard to be a pastor's kid, um, PK kids. Um, Samuel's PK kids have great names. Joel, Jehovah is God. Abijah, Jehovah is my father. These are great names. But it's one thing to have a great name. It's another thing to live up to that name. A name means nothing. It's actually what's inside that matters that needs to match the name. I was thinking about the cereal grape nuts. Y'all probably like, how in the world did you get to grape nuts from there? Because grape nuts, do y'all know this? Grape nuts do not have grapes in the box or nuts. Did y'all know that? I just found this out. Grape nuts don't have grapes nor nuts. Great nuts actually have wheat and barley, but there's no grapes and there's no nuts. So it's not, it's not really a matter of what's on the outside. It's actually what's a matter on the inside. What's inside? 
I'm sorry, I'm kind of twisted. That's what I think about. I'm sorry. But it does beg the question, doesn't it? What name do you have? I think of Revelation chapter 3. Uh, Jesus said to the church at Sardis, he said, I know your works that you have a name, you but that you are alive, but you're dead. These boys had the right names, probably given for the right reasons, but they were in the ministry for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 1. It tells us Samuel put these boys in place as a judge. Now listen, if Samuel did anything wrong, this is what he did wrong. He should have never done that especially having the example of Eli. Eli's boys, Hophni and Phinehas, wicked and corrupt. He grew up in that household, looking at that example of boys in the ministry with their dad. He had the example, why did he make his sons judges over Israel? Eli did the same thing. He made his sons priests, wicked and corrupt. Samuel should have learned from that and realized that the ministry is a calling. Samuel must have thought blood is thicker than anointing. Not true. Blood is not thicker than anointing. Again, preacher's kids get a tough time. Many people put pressure on a preacher's son to take over the pulpit when the preacher dies. Listen, anointing cannot listen. I repeat, anointing cannot be passed down. I'm going to wait while somebody clap your hands and say amen. How about that? Let's start right there. Anointing cannot, and that's why we see a lot of churches, have you noticed, am I the only one? We see a lot of churches where the, where the son winds up the pastor and he ain't anointed. He can do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to be nice. He can do it. He can get by. He can white knuckle it. But anointing cannot be passed down. Just because, listen, just because God anoints a man to do the work of the ministry or to pastor a church or whatever God's anointing is on that man's life does not mean that that anointing is passed through his DNA to his son. It does not. And too often, and I know even in this church, people, my son and I have talked about it. People are like, oh, when you going to go out there and be a preacher? When are you going to take over Pastor Ronnie? Where you, you, know, you know you call. You know you call. People be talking you into you being called. That's another thing. I repeat. You cannot talk someone into being called. Am I right about it? You can't talk them into it. It's a calling. God has got to put it in your heart. God has got to burn you. And sometimes God didn't call that man to do it. God doesn't want him to do that. God's got something else for him to do. But because of church folk, pressure him into, well, when you're going to take over the church, now you know Pastor Ronnie died, what's going to happen? You know you got to do it. It puts pressure on them. And before you know it, they're, they're, they're doing the work of the ministry in the flesh. And that's why it doesn't prosper like it did under his father. It happens every day of the week. You've got to be called to the ministry. Look at verse 4. We've got to move on. Where's the time go? 
the elders of Israel recognize that Samuel is going to die soon and they don't have a future with his sons. So they come to Samuel and they say, behold, you're old. (laughs) I love that. Now, listen, truth is, if you do the math, Samuel is probably around 52 or 60. So when they say, behold, you're old. Okay, I'm 52. Okay, so I don't think he's that old. I mean, that that doesn't register with me, not that old. I mean, that's not that old. And they said, since you're dying, your sons are dead spiritually. They can't lead. That's what I see. They can't lead. Make us a king like all the other nations. Now, this isn't the first time. Listen to me close. This isn't the first time that Israel asked for a king. Judges chapter 8. Write it down. Go there and look in your own time. Gideon had defeated the Midianites, and Israel said, rule over us. And Gideon said, I will not rule over you. The Lord is to rule over you. Now, if you know your Bibles, that you know Gideon, well, let's just say was busy. He had 70 sons. And one of, that's why I said, let's say, busy. And he has 70 sons, and one of them was Abimelech. And Abimelech talked his uncle into convincing the Shechemites to make him king. And they did, and it turned out he wasn't the king of Israel. He was a local king. Why? It wasn't God's timing. And it's not God's timing here. Look at verse 6. Tells us the thing displeased Samuel. And notice Samuel didn't say, don't you knuckleheads learn anything? He didn't say that. Notice Samuel did what? He prayed. God said, Samuel, listen to the people and don't take it personal. Verse 8, God said, Samuel, it's the same old story. They've been doing this since the day I bought them up out of Egypt. God says, Samuel, you're, you, you've only been doing this for 50 or 60 years. I've been going through this with these people for a few hundred years now. This is the same thing they've always done. Samuel's probably like, yeah, yeah, you're right, Lord. I remember when they, and they start telling stories back and forth. Because <laughs> they just, you know, whine and complain and cry out and stiff-necked and rebellious and hard-hearted and want their way and think they know and they really don't. And they probably had stories to tell. And I hope this encourages some of you. Because notice God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They rejected me. I hope that encourages you. Maybe you're speaking the word to some people and they reject it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. So don't take it personal. Notice what God told Samuel to do in verse 9. God said, listen to them and don't agree with them. And warn them that they are making a mistake. Samuel, I want you to help them understand the behavior of the king that they want. In other words, do what they say, help them understand what it's going to mean for them to have things the way they want it. Not only has this been a bad thing in Samuel's day, but it's a bad thing in our day. Since the rule of kings, man has been unable to govern themselves. Somebody once said, government is a great servant, but a poor master. That's true. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Look at what's going on in the world today. Man is unable to govern themselves. God says, give them what they want, but let them know 
what they're in for. Look at verse 10. So Samuel, you looking at verse 10? Say, I'm looking at it. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will, I want you to underline every time you see, take. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint, oh, you could, you could underline that actually too. Captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, and he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters to perfumers, cooks, bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants, and he will Take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. And he will take of a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day, underline verse 18, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the other nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wasn't God already doing that? And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his own city. Give me your attention. I want you to notice as we pointed out what Samuel says here. And this is what it means to be under. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is what it means to be under human government. I don't know why anybody would be surprised. He will take. Human government equals he will take. Your sons, make them chariot runners. He will appoint leadership, order to plow the fields and work hard. Verse 13 is going to take your daughters and make them cooks and bakers. Verse 14, take your fields. Verse 15, take a tenth of your grain. Verse 16, take your male servants, your female servants. Verse 17, he's going to take a tenth of your sheep and you and, 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 and your servants. In other words, God says, the king you want is going to burn your family and your finances. He'll burn your family and your finances. If Israel wants a king, they must realize he will be a taker and not a giver. Did y'all hear me? You want a king, he will be a taker and not a giver. And they will be servants. Think about it. Most kings aren't givers. They're takers. Most kings come to be served, not serve. Jesus is a different kind of king. The Bible says Jesus, the king of kings, came to serve, not to be served. So Jesus is a different kind of king. 
Also, watch this. Something happens with this king that they never knew about. What's that, Pastor? It's called taxes. They hadn't had that happen yet. They just gave a tenth to the Lord for the upkeep of the priests in the temple, but now they have to double their output. 10% is a flat tax for the government and 10% for the Lord. So now they don't want God to rule over them. It's going to be costly. Man is high maintenance. God is low maintenance. Say it with me. Man is high maintenance. God is low maintenance. It's as simple as that. God doesn't take, 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 and take. God gives, 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 and gives. Man takes, 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 and takes. God doesn't need your food. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your sons and your daughters. He doesn't need your olive groves. Listen to me close. The only thing that God wants is your heart. That's it. Notice verse 18. I'm coming in for a landing. Look at verse 18. You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear. Interesting language here. God calls this coming king your king making it clear that this king is your king, the king you've chosen. Interesting, if they had waited for God's king, they wouldn't need to cry out to the Lord because God has a king in mind that he would choose that would lead Israel. The king that God would choose would be a king after his own heart, King David. King David is the type of the king of kings. So David would be something like a preview of coming attractions. Notice in verse 19 through 22, even after God told them that they can expect, what they can expect for having a king that they chose, they still didn't listen to Samuel. They're choosing bondage over freedom. They said, no, but we'll have a king over us that we can be like the other nations, that we can have a judge and, and someone can fight our battles. God has already been all that to them and done all that for them but they want a man to do it. They want something tangible. Listen, what made Israel unique as a nation is the fact that they had an invisible, all-powerful God that they trusted who did everything for them. That's what made them unique. It was God who brought them out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. It was God who brought them through the wilderness and fed them. It was God who brought them, who destroyed the Egyptians as they were in hot pursuit of Israel. It was God who gave them victory over the Midianites when the odds were 450 to 1. And all they did was break glass and blow a horn and the walls came tumbling down. Chapter 7, verse 10. It was God who thundered and disconfitted, confused the Philistines. What is, made Israel unique was that they had a theocracy, a God who cared for them. God said, give them what they want. You know, this is almost funny. They're rejecting the rule of God, and at the same time, they can't escape the rule of God. But ultimately, it's God who is appointing their king. Listen, this is how it works. God will never step off his throne. Even if you resist him, you're only hurting yourself. Hosea chapter 13, verse 9 through 11, tells us what God thought about this whole situation. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. 
I will be your king. Where is any other that he may save you in all your cities and your judges to whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. Do you know sometime God will give you exactly what you're asking for? And we're going to see next time that God's going to give Israel just what they want. They want tall, dark, and handsome. That's exactly what they're going to get. Just what people are looking for in a worldly leader today. Everything focused on the outward. No attention to the inward. Are you listening? No attention to the heart. Unfortunately, people are still doing that today. Character doesn't matter. Not today. That's unfortunate. Stay tuned. This is a great cliffhanger. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.